0: Hi, everyone. This is Alicia Halliday, and welcome to the June 14th ASF Weekly Science Podcast. On today's podcast, we'll talk about a partial resolution to the, quote, does Prozac cause autism, unquote, debate and a summary of ways that environmental factors can be working with genetics to trigger those mysterious de novo mutations. De novo mutations are the ones that appear in a person with ASD, but are not found in other children from the same parents or the parents themselves. So where do they come from? It's almost like they appear by magic, but it's not magic, it's science. We still don't entirely know how, but someone has just published some thoughts and evidence on the matter. So first, there's been a lot, and I mean a lot, of confusion on the role of a drug class called SSRIs, or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, taken during pregnancy, and then a later diagnosis of ASD in those children of mothers who have taken them during pregnancy. Some studies have shown a slightly elevated probability of ASD, again, a slight increase, not a 100% chance. And some have and some have not taken into account those predisposing factors, like the need for taking an SSRI, like pre-existing mental health conditions. SSRIs include drugs like Prozac, Lexapro, Zoloft, Paxil, and Luvox, to name a few. Some also slightly inhibit the reuptake of norepinephrine. But what does a reuptake inhibitor actually do? Well, when one neuron releases a neurochemical into the synapse, it activates or turns something on or off the neuron it is attached to. It should happen quickly and it should be done efficiently. This neurochemical shouldn't malinger in the synapse. It should stay, have action, and then be taken up and recycled. This makes for an efficient system. But some people who don't have enough serotonin need a way to boost this action. And one way is to release more serotonin into the synapse, which has a lot of side effects, or slow down the reuptake of the serotonin in the synapse, allowing it to stay and act longer. Most of these SSRIs inhibit the reuptake of serotonin, meaning the serotonin that's already there can stay longer and have a longer action. Most of them, however, these drugs take a few weeks to work, suggesting that there's something going on, like changes in the number of reuptake pumps or longer lasting gene expression changes. They may also trigger other brain systems to work, which takes longer than one dose or one pill and longer than one day. But this podcast isn't about SSRIs and how they work, so I digress, but I'll move on. As I mentioned, there has been some debate in this area. Some studies have shown a small but significant link between SSRIs and later autism diagnosis, and some have not. Some have looked at the psychiatric conditions of the mother when they've done their analysis, and some have not. One article in the Journal of the American Medical Association said that SSRIs are associated but not causative of autism in offspring. As I mentioned, yes, SSRIs are associated with an increased probability of ASD. However, not all studies take the genetic susceptibility of having a parent or a mother with a psychiatric issue requiring SSRIs in the first place into account. This is a great example of a gene environment interaction question. Is it the genetics or the predisposing condition like anxiety or depression or the environment, the SSRI? or some combination of them both? I think the question goes way beyond scientific. Women with psychiatric conditions need treatment. They may need an SSRI. They should have firm scientific answers on whether or not that SSRI hurts their fetus. I actually don't like the word fetus. I don't know why, but I don't, but it's accurate, so I'll use it. Mothers need information that has taken into account the confounding factors like their predisposing psychiatric issues which they cannot change and which may get worse if they go off their meds. This is obviously a tricky question, which is why I'm glad the Study to Explore Early Development or SEED, a project funded and run by the CDC, tackled it using their design. They looked at two to five-year-olds, about 4,000 of them, and looked at them and decided whether or not they had a developmental delay, an autism spectrum disorder, or if they were typically developing. They collected them from all over the country. They also collected information from the parents in a caregiver interview, including medications taken by the parents, any diagnosis of ADHD, anxiety, bipolar disorder, eating disorder, self-injury, personality disorder, or any other psychiatric diagnoses. The two most common conditions, by the way, were depression and anxiety. Using advanced statistical analysis. And if you care about this analysis, email me and I'll send you the article. They found that mothers with psychiatric conditions, regardless of SSRI use, had an elevated odds of having a child with either ASD or developmental delays. Maternal psychiatric conditions during pregnancy were most strongly associated with ASD and developmental delay without a comorbid intellectual disability. Among mothers with psychiatric conditions during pregnancy... SSRI use was not related to ASD, suggesting that SSRIs alone do not raise the odds of ASD. However, the odds of developmental disorders were higher in mothers who use SSRIs during preconception and pregnancy. So there's actually no association with ASD. The association was psychiatric conditions of the mother. I say this not to shame any mother with depression or anxiety, I'll admit I take Prozac. It is nothing to be ashamed of. I think it's important because I strongly believe women should not be shamed out of taking medication if they need it while they're pregnant. Does that mean that the study that found links were wrong? No, but many of them were not able to disentangle the use of SSRIs from those pre existing psychiatric conditions, and that was a problem. And also, remember they only found an effect in children with developmental disorders and autism without intellectual disability. Not all studies stratify that way. One thing I do wanna acknowledge here is the amazing authors who contributed to this analysis. In particular, a scientist who is not just a friend to me, but to many. Her name is Li Ching Li, and she was a valued member of the SEED project and a respected and loved faculty member at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. She passed away recently And what I didn't know until she did pass away was not only was she an amazing scientist, she was a generous mentor who gave her time freely to early career investigators writing new grant applications. She was born and educated in Taiwan and moved to the United States. She had a passion for helping kids with ASD and dedicated her career to understanding how many people in not just the U.S. but the world were affected and what caused it. You can read a full bio of Li Ching Li on the ASF website. To say she will be missed is a complete understatement. But this is just one example of a gene-environment interaction that didn't look directly at genetics. The genetics were studied by looking at predisposing psychiatric conditions. There is a class of genetic mutations found in people with ASD. Not everyone, but a big chunk, like up to 15%, that are related to a mutation is called de novo. novo means new. This means that you can't see this mutation in either parent, but boom, it's found in the child. It's usually found on genes that are associated with ASD, like genes that affect the way neurons connect with each other or how brain cells function. So if they're not found in either parent, where do they come from? There are actually some environmental factors that increase the probability of ASD and large sample sizes consistently and across the world, again, not causing it completely, but elevating the probability. So how are those interacting with genes? Does it happen in pregnancy or before pregnancy? This seems to be a question that has yet to be answered. A new review led by Keelan Pugsley and co-authored by geneticist Steve Scherer delves into what can happen in a de novo mutation. And before I go any farther, answering this question will probably not be done by directly studying people, but rather using animal models and cellular models using tissue from people. What could be going on? Well, here are some ideas that need further discussion and study. The idea is that some environmental exposures are mutagenic, which means they cause mutations in genes, or genotoxic, meaning they cause DNA damage. They can directly interact with genetic material They can interfere with DNA repair, or they can indirectly damage DNA through exposure via oxidative stress. Oxidative stress is the accumulation of reactive oxygen species in cells that's normal, but when the cell is overwhelmed with these reactive oxygen species under certain conditions, it can cause damage. Some examples of chemicals that can do one of these three things is valproic acid and anti-seizure medication associated with autism, air pollution also associated with autism, and some heavy metals. Also involved in this process could be maternal diabetes as well as parental age. These are non-chemical environmental factors that also have these mechanisms of action. Also of importance is that the effects can happen even preconceptually when the eggs and the cells that make sperm are forming in either the embryo of the mother or the father who may, 20 to 30 years later, go on and have a child with autism. Or in fact, it can happen in the embryo itself. So let's quickly go through some of the mechanisms I just described. First, altering the DNA structure. These mutations are caused by breaking the double strands of DNA, which result in a loss of stability of both strands of DNA. Sometimes this damage can be fixed, But sometimes the damage is too great to fix it or fix it correctly, leading to a mutation all its own. Sometimes this leads to copy number variants, which means some parts of the DNA are inserted, repeated, deleted, or fragmented. Then as the DNA keeps replicating, this mutation propagates down the line and causes mutations all over in every cell. This keeps happening over and over when the cells reproduce say, after the egg meets the sperm and then forms an embryo. The second is that environmental agents can alter these DNA repair responses. Now, DNA damage does happen all the time. There are several mechanisms I mentioned that help to fix the DNA. Several of these response pathways are perturbed through the exposure of environmental factors associated with ASD limiting the ability to repair these mutations and then later on changing the biology of the whole system. It isn't that they just damage DNA, they damage the system that is set up to fix DNA breakages. There are many of these systems, one called non-homologous end-joining, another called mismatch repair, there's one called base and nucleotide excising repair, and another one is called homologous recombination. Some environmental chemicals target the genes responsible for these mechanisms, preventing them from working properly. They may suppress genes whose products are necessary to fix this DNA damage. A list of the genes can be found in the paper, email me or it's also open access, so I won't bore you here. These then lead to de novo mutations. The third is oxidative DNA damage. This is generation of oxidative species are part of normal cellular metabolism. But when a system is overwhelmed, like when there are too many environmental toxicants exposed, then the system can't handle all of these reactive oxidative species. The hydroxyl radical then binds with the DNA and induces DNA damage, including those that either specifically bind to base pairs of DNA or across the DNA strand. This is a real effect across biology and has been attributed to everything from aging to cancer and beyond. Oxidative stress can be caused by air pollution as well as other toxic chemicals. Particularly oxidative stress in sperm cells and eggs during the pregnancy of those mothers who go on to have children with ASD are particularly vulnerable. The last one is epigenetics, and epigenetics cannot be undervalued. If DNA is the piano, epigenetics is the person playing the piano. Different environmental chemicals tag onto DNA to turn them on or off. If you turn them on or off during critical periods of brain development, you could have lifelong issues. The mechanism of epigenetics that's been most studied is DNA methylation, where an environmental exposure causes a methyl group to be attached to a CPG area in the DNA and turns off the next sequence of amino acid or genes. Normally they turn off, not on. But there are other mechanisms of epigenetics which are really poorly studied in ASD and need to be. What's important to remember is that there are particular genes or strands of DNA that may be particularly likely to show mutations and these may be particularly vulnerable to environmental chemicals or exposures. About 6% of the human genome are known to contribute to a molecular dysfunction across different clinical phenotypes. Now this means 6% of the human genome can contribute to cancer, can contribute to asthma, can contribute to diabetes. One type of DNA structure that's especially vulnerable are called tandem repeats. This is the repeat of three or four of the same amino acids over and over again that happen in the DNA under a normal circumstance. What's important is that the tandem repeats are associated with ASD. That was one of the major findings in two different labs just last year. And the discovery was made just last year because the technology of finding the association between these DNA repeats and ASD was really sophisticated and required a lot of technology and knowledge and information sciences, i.e. computers. One reason it's also been so hard to study these DNA changes is that it requires the collection of genetic information from parents, maybe grandparents, and both children, not just the one with ASD. This has actually been rare until relatively recently. It also involves the assessment of the entire genome or specific parts of the genome called whole genome sequencing, which is not only expensive but incredibly difficult to analyze. We need big numbers, so possibly model systems are needed to study the individual effects of each toxicant system with particular DNA repair or epigenetic mechanisms. Finally, if it's preconceptual, like sperm or egg, good luck. It may be easier to get sperm from a father, but try getting an egg from a mother. It's quite the process, especially an older mother who may not have any eggs left. No offense, I'm one of them. It's, also, it's almost prohibitive, but let's start somewhere like with sperm. I can count on one hand the number of studies looking at sperm, and they all suggest scientists need to actually study it more, In fact, another major study last year showed that there were markers of sperm on fathers of children with ASD that might predict the probability of that child having ASD to a small amount. Now, it's not ready to be sold as a clinical test, but it does say that this needs more attention. The article I'm talking about is open access again, but I'll put a link in the podcast summary. You can also Google it by typing in Pugsley and autism and molecular psychiatry and see what you find. Thank you for listening this week. As always, this is an important topic that never, ever gets enough research. I'll talk to you next Monday.